Welcome to the Concordia Publishing House podcast, where we consider everything in the light of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm your host, Elizabeth Pittman. The Reformation had a profound impact on the hymnody of the Lutheran Church. Today, we'll be talking about the musical shifts that occurred during the Reformation era with our guest, Peter Reske. Peter is the Senior Editor of Music and Worship Resources here at Concordia Publishing House. Hi, Peter. Hi, Elizabeth. It's great to be talking to you from across the fourth floor here in the, at the house. Yeah, this is a fun way to do it. It is. It's not too bad, um, as we're all social distancing and we're trying to be be safe and all. Right. I'm, I've kind of been singing hymns in my head all week in anticipation of this conversation. I think most of us who grew up in the Lutheran church or who attend Lutheran church and we often leave with the services with a hymn stuck in our head for the rest of the day. And today we're specifically talking about hymns of the Reformation era and the impact that the Reformation had on the music of the church because there was a big shift that happened at that time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the first things we need to remember, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll paint the scene. Um, okay. I think sometimes in the popular imagination, we, we may think that, you know, it was like the Middle Ages and it, it was really dark and everyone was sitting there and they were all dirty and no one could read and you, you would go to, go to church and everything was in Latin and nobody knew what was going on and nobody participated. And then Martin Luther showed up and he turned the light on and all of a sudden everyone is standing upright. Yeah. And you know, everyone is singing in German and it's all wonderful. Of course, there's a lot more nuance to this story than that. Um, So uh, it may come as a surprise to some, but there was singing in the vernacular before the time of the Reformation, you know, so in the vernacular, I mean, German in those lands or um, whatever the the local language was. Now, there was some of that, um, but not a lot of it. And much of the religious singing in the vernacular happened outside of the service, outside of the mass. So we would say kind of paraliturgically. And so these um, kind of folk songs developed in the vernacular. And um, so when Luther came along, he adapted some some of those folk songs, um, wrote wrote some new hymns himself. But, you know, maybe I'm maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Did I did I read correctly? And I read an essay recently in the Lutheran Hymn Companion, where prior to Luther and the Reformation, the music was not like we sing it today. It wasn't, it was more art and adornment for the service than necessarily an active part for the congregants to participate in. Yeah, definitely. And remember the service itself would have been in Latin. Um, And so the singing would be done by the priests, maybe for his parts, but generally by choirs. So, so the complaints of the congregants about the singing ability of their pastor is <laughs> hundreds of years old, I take it. Yeah, this, this is nothing new. <laughs> yeah, choirs, um, nowadays, you know, we think of, you know, like every congregation ha- has their choir, you know, children's choir or adult choir. 
our, our schools and colleges and universities have choirs. There's community choirs, professional choirs, all sorts of things. At the time of the Reformation, there you would have choirs maybe connected with the court, you know, so like with the duke or the prince, the king, there might be choirs there. There would be choirs in monasteries, and then there would be usually choirs associated with schools, universities, and they would have boy singers singing this, the, the higher parts until their voices changed, and then, and, and then they could sing the lower parts. So for the average person going to Mass on a Sunday, let's say, um, depending on where you lived, there may or may not even be a choir. You know, if you were in some tiny little village, there was maybe a village school, and then some of the schoolboys could could make up the choir. If you lived in a bigger city or a city with a university like Wittenberg, there would be a, a university choir. Um, but the music itself was also different, not, not just how it was sung. Um, it was really typical at the time. So what we're talking about here is the Renaissance, so the musical Renaissance. And it was typical to have music for the mass that was often based on some little bit of chant, a little bit of Gregorian chant. And if you think about now, most of our choirs, standard choir voicing has sopranos in the highest voice, then altos, tenors, and basses. And what we are really used to is having that melody be in the highest voice in the soprano part. It's easiest to hear there and easiest for the ear to find it there. Now, during the musical Renaissance, the melody, which was usually based on some bit of Gregorian chant, the melody was in the tenor voice. There's various reasons for that, but what that meant was the tenor holding, and that's what tenor means, holding that, holding that tune would carry along with its part, and then the other voices would kind of ornament around it. Um, now this is, you know, th this is a really simplified, generalized version of it. Um, so if you are, if you just come to mass, do you do you know the Gregorian chants? Maybe some of them. So some of them were used frequently enough that you might recognize them, um, ev even if you weren't encouraged to sing along. But then having your ear find it in the tenor part is a little trickier. So this kind of paraliturgical singing developed outside of the service that allowed, let's just say, more singable tunes, um, things that felt more like like folk tunes. They were, they were still sacred in nature, and, and they were in the vernacular. And those things, Luther and the Reformers um, adapted and adopted and worked in to places where the people could be singing those during the service. How did Luther change not only the tune, but the words that were sung? Because he brought something new into the actual text, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is important to remember that at, at any time, how you sing, how you, let's say, do hymns affects your theology of them, how you think about them. And your theology of hymns, your theology of worship affects how you do them. So at this time, there wasn't, there was not only this big shift in how hymns were done, but maybe more importantly was this shift in this theology of worship, how hymns were understood. Now, before the time of the Reformation, 
and again, I'm generalizing, hymns were seen as um, maybe a type of prayer or um, almost like a sacrifice. Here's the, the work that we do. This is our offering. But what Luther and the reformers brought to it was the, the understanding, the assertion that hymns are proclamation. And this was really big. This, this was like a seismic shift. Luther put hymns essentially on the same level with preaching. Luther said that the gospel is preached through music. And so what was important is that the gospel be proclaimed, that the story of salvation be proclaimed. So, yes, of course, you can find Reformation hymns where you look at the text and they're addressed to God. But so many of them are addressed to each other. Hymns like, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. We're proclaiming this. We're proclaiming this to each other. A mighty fortress is our God. We're proclaiming this to each other, not you, O God, are a mighty fortress. Not there's a, you know, not that there's a problem with that, um, but just how, how it, it shows the proclamation. This was a really big deal. And it meant that what the people, the people's response to what God was giving them in the divine service was to proclaim this good news and proclaim all of salvation's story. So just like a good sermon needs to be balanced with law and gospel, a good hymn should be balanced with law and gospel. It's difficult. If, if, if we think of a, of a hymn like a sermon, I've never written a sermon myself. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I imagine it's quite difficult. I've written a few hymns. They're all pretty terrible. But <laughs> You'll have to sing those for us yes, later. Yes, that'll be on the, uh, the bonus. <laughs> I, I imagine it would be difficult to write a sermon that had to rhyme and follow a, a certain meter. And so getting all of Salvation's story in every hymn probably isn't going to be possible. But there, there are some hymns that do it, give you everything from, you know, like the fall, our need for a savior, and then specifically how God saves us by sending his son to die, re- resurrected to life again, and, and we, are, we are saved with him. And so proclaiming to one another this story was a uniquely Lutheran way of understanding hymns. And if the understanding is that we are proclaiming this message, then it has to be on the mouths of the people. It's not, not enough just to have choirs do it. Although choirs did continue, um, choirs were a big, big part of Lutheran worship. No, it's it's really neat to see. I can't even imagine. I I will write, but I've never been a poet. Mm-hmm. And I've I mean, and it's to think about the the art of poetry in hymn writing, and to pack in the law and the gospel in a way that um, proclaims it clearly. That's a skill that I envy because it's, it's, and I'm grateful for our hymn writers throughout history that can do that because hymns are powerful. I mean, to have a hymn memorized is so comforting depending. I mean, I know a lot of the hymns, especially that came out of the reformation had to do with comfort yes. um, as they were proclaiming the gospel. And it's, it's, they're, they're incredible. Yeah, you talked about memorizing them. At the time of the Reformation, they didn't have denominational publishing houses like we do now. Oh, darn. Right? 
we're, we're, we're in innovation. Um, and so they, they also didn't have hymnals like in the pews, in the church. You know, you come in, have your hymnal right there. Um, people were more literate in general than, than uh, we, we, we maybe thought. But even so, for the most part, if people were going to be singing these hymns, these new hymns in the service, they did have to memorize them. Now, memorizing a sermon, you know, I, I know some some pastors preach their own sermon and have it memorized. It's, it's a remarkable thing. But if you have a whole group of people who have to have the same thing memorized, having it set to music is a really good way, a really good way to do that. And it does. It's it sticks with us. It sticks with us through our lives. Those those hymns that we've memorized. And it, at, at the beginning, it was a necessity. Now, helping them was that there were many fewer hymns. The very first Lutheran hymnal published in early 1524 is, is called, kind of nicknamed the Acht Liederbuch. Acht, German for eight. So you can guess how many hymns it had in it. Just eight. Um, and, and so a lot of the same hymns functioning the same way in the service were used over and over again. But as the years went on, the hymnals continued to grow. So if more and more hymns were being written and they maybe weren't being used in the service, where were they being used? Well, the answer is at home and at school. And I think that's another really important part about Lutherans and hymnody. That proclamation doesn't end on Sunday morning at 930. That, that proclamation goes on throughout our lives, throughout the day, and maybe even especially at home. The, the other thing after proclamation, the other thing that kind of defines Lutheran hymns is that they teach. And sometimes, you know, I'll go to hymn conferences with people from other denominations, and they know I'm from Concordia, and they'll kind of tease me about the Lutheran hymns. They'll say, oh, they're so didactic. They're so doctrinal. You know, it's like, it's like I have to sit down and like learn all these points. And, and I'm flattered by it. I said, okay, so you get it. Yes. <laughs> So first and foremost, they proclaim, but they really teach as well. And boy, there's there's nothing like 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 a hymn for teaching our kids. You know, talking about memorization, but also using language that vividly brings to life the, those all, all, all those different things that we want we want our children and each other to learn and remember. My sons have memory work every week, and there's always a hymn included. And mm -hmm. as they practice it, I torment them. And I've done this for years and it's become a game, but they'll be working on their, the hymn verses and I'll start singing them at them or I'll pull up an audio file of the hymn. And for whatever reason, maybe my sons aren't normal, but they're like, stop it, mom. I'm like, but this is, it makes it easier to learn. And so I'll start singing and they're like, this is why we didn't tell you what the hymn was because you're going to start <laughs> singing it. Now maybe it's my singing voice. That could very well be. Um, but it is, I do love how our Lutheran schools, you know, emphasize the memorization of the hymns because I've you know, seen people over the years. My dad is one of them who drop of a hat, he can rattle off six stanzas of a hymn verse. And yeah. it's, it's incredible how that sticks. And you, you hear story after story of someone who, um, as they age, those hymn verses just come to life um, and share that good news. So I am grateful for our schools that 
use these hymns as a part of teaching. So, so Luther also used these in a catechetical sense, right? So as we're talking about teaching in schools, there's a lot that he used to help share the faith. Right. Um, considering all the, all the different kinds, let's call them kinds of hymns that Luther himself wrote. And Luther wasn't the only, the only person at the time writing new hymns. In fact, he was encouraging other people to write hymns. And um, some of them took him up on it. As a few decades passed, we find more hymn writers contributing. But Luther himself wrote a bunch, 37, 38, so, somewhere in there. We're not exactly sure of the number because there are a few we're not exactly sure if he wrote them. But many, many of these he wrote as encouragement or even as models or samples for, for other hymn writers or for examples of what people could be using in the service and in the schools and at home. And so you mentioned these catechism hymns. Yeah, among the different kinds of hymns he wrote were hymns that reflect parts of the catechism or the themes there. So for example, these are the Holy Ten Commands. This hymn withstands us for each of the Ten Commandments. How about um, we all believe in one true God? Yeah, the creed, of course. And that one did double duty. That one was a catechism hymn, but it also would serve as the creed at that point in the service and all the people could sing it. Or um, to Jordan came the Christ our Lord, a baptism hymn. So I don't know that Luther necessarily sat down and said, okay, you know, I've, I've written my small catechism. Now I need a hymn for each one of these. I think some, some of them are obviously connected with the catechism, like the Ten Commandments. Um, Luther also wrote another Ten Commandments hymn, um, which most people don't know. And it's much shorter than the one we do know. These are the Holy Ten Commands, which has like 12 stanzas or something to cover, to cover 10 commandments. Some people complain that it was a little too long. So he wrote this other one that con condenses it down. Um, but then there were other hymns like From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee, um, which is a psalm setting. And so it could be used in the service at that point um, maybe when that psalm would have would have been sung, um, but also becomes the catechism hymn for confession and absolution. Okay, let's talk about some of the hymns um, that we associate with the Reformation, and okay. we've got to we've got to start with the one that I think is top of mind for everyone when we're thinking about Reformation, and that is "A Mighty Fortress is Our God." Yeah, give us the backstory on that. Okay, well, unfortunately, um, this. Like you said, the most famous Reformation hymn, Luther's most famous hymn, there are some question marks hovering around exactly when it was written and when it was first published. So scholars are pretty confident that it was written between 1527 and 1529. And there were difficult things going on. There was plague. You know, that, re that region was under attack by different forces. Luther had been ill. This hymn likely comes from then. And when was it first published? We have references to a couple of sources from 1529 that no longer exist. And then we, we do have some from 1531 and 1533 that, that do exist. So to everyone listening out there, if you come across a really old German hymnal <laughs> from 1529 with a mighty fortress in it, you call me, you let me know. How much are you willing to pay for it? It's incalculable. <laughs> and and so this hymn that 
a lot of people think of as the battle hymn of the Reformation really wasn't a battle hymn at all. It was titled, in its first publications, titled A Hymn of Comfort. And yes, we sing it Reformation Day. Um, you know, we sing it every year on Reformation Day. But that, in terms of the 500-year history here, is a relatively new, new place, new time to sing that hymn. It was more traditionally sung on the first Sunday in Lent. And it is still the hymn of the day in Lutheran service book on the first Sunday in Lent. And the first Sunday in Lent, the gospel there talks about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And this hymn fits it so well, um, talking about, yes, resisting the devil, fighting off the devil, um, but also just, just plain comfort, words of comfort. Now, I would never, ever suggest singing A Mighty Fortress is Our God to a different tune. But if you did, if you if you sang it to a, a, a different tune that was maybe gentler or smoother or maybe in a minor mode or something, would the text feel different? Would it would you interpret it differently? I think so. So maybe, you know, after you're done listening here today, you can go and just read through the hymn. Try not to think of the music. I know it'll be super hard, but but just just read through the text of this hymn. Okay, so I've got a question for you. Okay. In stanza three, stanza three ends this way. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fell him. What do you think that little word is? People have talked about this for, for a long, long time. I have been in conversations about this. And now, oh, here we go. Let's see. One little word. Um, you know, I, my mind immediately goes to the, the Sunday school answer of Jesus. That's always a good answer. That's always a good place to go. Um, so before I really embarrass myself, tell us what the one little word is. Uh, well, you're right. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Actually, as far as we know, Luther himself kind of answered this question um, two times. In a sermon from 1529. Now remember, he we, we're pretty sure he wrote this hymn right around that same time. In a sermon from around that time, he talks about a little word being the name of Jesus. Years later, in 1541, he's talking specifically about this hymn, and he says that that one little word is saying, devil, you lie. So if you're looking for one English word, it could be Jesus or it could be liar. So we can sing liar. We can change. <laughs> I, I don't know how it'll fit in the. <laughs> no, it won't. It won't, fit with, it won't fit with the meter, but that's no, that's it's it's I think it's comforting. It's it's reassuring, especially when we're facing struggles. When you think about it like that of devil, you lie. Yeah. And being able to call it out. There's so much power in that to like, just go away, Satan. We don't need you right now. Exactly. When, when the prince of lies is, is oppressing you, when you are surrounded by sin, death, and the devil, you can look at him and say, you liar. I have Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? It's amazing. And, it's all you, and it, it gives me chills because it is so powerful. Um, 
Is there anything else about A Mighty Fortress that you want to share before we move on to another hymn? Let's talk about another hymn. Let's talk about another hymn. Um, what other? What's the next hymn you'd like to talk about? Uh, let's talk about my favorite okay. Reformation era Reformation hymn. Okay. So you, you hear all the qualifiers in there. Yes. People ask me, oh, what's your favorite hymn? Who's your favorite child? <laughs> you know. Depends on the day. Exactly, <laughs> right. It depends on the day. It depends on the season. Um, I'm often discovering hymns, hymns that I've, I've, I've known, you know, I've, I've known my whole life, but I, I guess rediscovering them. But my favorite, my favorite Reformation hymn is To God the Holy Spirit, Let Us Pray. And that's LSB, what number? 768, 768. In our, in our song fest right now, we'll turn to hymn 768. That's right. For our listeners, Peter is also the MC of our annual CPH Christmas hymn sing. So he, uh-huh. he's used to commanding the audience of the entire CPH staff as we are shouting out Advent and Christmas songs for him. And I think he, I think he plays favorites when he selects the hymns that we're going to sing. Oh, I definitely do. <laughs> yeah. They, they give me that power for 15 minutes. It goes to my head. <laughs> All right. So LSB seven, six, eight, tell us about to God, the Holy spirit. Let us pray. Um, this one is from 1524, and 1524 is a really, really important year for Lutheran hymns. Now, a few years ago, how many years has it been? Three years already. We celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now, hymn nerds like me, especially Lutheran hymn nerds, in 2017, we're like, yeah, that's great. Let us know when it's 2024, because then we can really start celebrating the big 500th anniversary. So in in 1524, the first Lutheran hymnals started being published. So I, I, I mentioned one earlier that came out um, came out in early 1524. This little book with eight eight hymns, eight songs, was done in such a hurry that there's all sorts of mistakes on the title page. Now I understand printing was kind of a new thing, but this is something where a, a visual would be really great. So you, 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 I'll, I'll try to paint the picture. And you know, you know, close your eyes unless you're driving as you listen to this. Don't close your eyes. There's in in the decoration on the title page. There's these dolphins or whales, and they put it together so quickly that these dolphins are upside down. And for the date, the date is given in Roman numerals, which is typical at the time. It says M D X I I I J. Another kind, you know, another kind of I, which would be fifteen fourteen. Now this, it's, I mean, it's just absolutely wrong. And there's a couple of theories about how that happened. If, if that one of those first eyes should have been the second X, and then maybe it would have been 1523 if they were preparing it late in the year. And then another interesting thing about the title page of this first Lutheran hymnal is that it states really big, clearly where it was printed. It says Wittenberg. The problem is it was printed in Nuremberg. <laughs> this this we don't think was a mistake. Wittenberg was where it was at in terms of the Reformation. And the printers of this, this hymnal knew they could sell more copies, make it, make it even feel more like it had Luther's blessing, let's say, by putting Wittenberg on there. Now, I, I don't know. I, I assume it had Luther's blessing. It has several of his hymns in it. In fact, the very first hymn in that 
first hymnal was Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. I was just going to ask about that hymn. I was looking at the number. Yeah, that was the very first hymn. And the second hymn was Salvation Unto Us Has Come. Now, these two hymns appear back to back in Lutheran service book, but we have the order flipped in Lutheran service book. Um, if I could go back, I, I, I would flip the order of those so that so they match the order that they appeared in that very first Lutheran hymnal. But it, it does, doesn't really change anything. Later that year, uh, so still 1524, two rival hymnals were published in Erfurt. Again, pretty small books that had nearly identical titles. And here we think that uh, one printer was rushing to get to get the book ready, and maybe the other printer maybe even stole plates. I guess printing at the time would have been stolen plates, but maybe stole a set of proofs, like one set of printed proofs, and then based his hymnal on there. Um, the point is, there was this rush to get these hymnals out, partly because they could sell them. Hymnals were outselling Bibles and catechisms by, by many fold. There's practical reasons for that. Um, to, ha to have a complete Bible, to, to print it, is quite expensive. And the hymnals at, at the time were really just booklets. They were, they were little things, but everybody wanted hymnals. They wanted, they wanted hymnals for home. Everybody wanted hymnals. Well, how, how much more important than that those hymns were proclaiming the gospel in their words? Yeah. To have, to have that accessibility for the people like that. That's, that's incredible. It, it, it is. And in the Oct Liederbuch, that first Lutheran hymnal, with some of the hymns, they give pages of Bible references, of scripture references, corresponding to the stanzas of these new hymns. So it, it wasn't just that they were proclaiming, proclaiming the word, but connecting it specifically and explicitly with the Bible. So there was this rush to get these hymnals out. Um, you know, we were joking earlier, if somebody comes across one of these 1529 books to call me. You weren't joking. No, no, no. I, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't joking, but these <laughs> kinds of things still turn up. So I talked about these two kind of rival hymnals from Erfurt in 1524. One of them we, we knew had existed because there had been reference to it in some 19th century sources, but the only known copy had been destroyed. And then in 2013, a copy turned up in Dublin, Ireland, of all places. In a, huh. in a library in Dublin. And that one's all digitized online. So if your listeners want to go and take a look at it, they can they, they can they can look it up and, and, and see it. And then in 1524, um, another kind of hymnal came out. Uh, this, this one was done in Wittenberg, and this was a set of part books for choirs. So now when we when we publish choir music, we have all the parts on the same page. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass, it's all together. Singers can see what the other singers are doing. Not so at the time. You would have a book with all of the soprano parts in one book and all of the alto parts in another book and all the tenor parts in, and so on. And this, this collection published towards the end of 1524 shows exactly, exactly what was happening. Hymnals were being pushed, pushed out there as fast as they could for the people, for church, maybe, and for home, but also for the choirs. So that was all a digression from To God the Holy Spirit, Let Us Pray. This hymn came out in one of those 1524 books. And one of my absolute favorite choral settings of the Reformation era comes from that, that last hymnal I mentioned, that the, those set of choral books. And there, this hymn is treated with the melody 
in the tenor part, and then this beautiful adornment around it of, of, that, of that tenor part. Now, this hymn, we have it in the prayer section in Lutheran Service Book. Um, it, it's also, I hope, obviously, also kind of a Pentecost hymn. It's a Holy Spirit hymn. And my favorite stanza of this hymn is stanza two. O sweetest love, your grace on us bestow. Set our hearts with sacred fire aglow, that with hearts united we love each other, every stranger, sister, and brother. Lord, have mercy. And you see how the every stanza of this hymn ends with Lord, have mercy. If you, if you get Lutheran service book and um, you know, go to the index, find Luther's name, and flip through his hymns, you'll see that many of them end with Lord have mercy or Alleluia. The models for these were those hymns that I mentioned that were being sung outside of the service in the century or so before. And it was really common. The common pattern for these hymns was to end with Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And so in this particular instance, Luther took a one stanza 13th century hymn in German that began more or less to God, the Holy Spirit, let us pray and ends with Lord have mercy. And then he supplied stanzas two through four and kind of gave it complete form. Um, it, yeah, it's, it, it's one of my favorites, part, partly because um, it, it's a great example of the kinds of hymns that uh, Luther and the others were writing at that time. But it also has a history that goes back much further. And um, what, what better prayer can there be than Lord have mercy? And you get to sing that four times in, in this hymn. You referenced hymns being put in different sections. And so some of the Reformation hymns we've talked about, and then there are other, as I've heard you talk about them before, lesser known Reformation hymns that if you flip through the hymnal, you might find it in Advent or Lent or wherever in different sections talk about how those can be placed in different places and what, what that means. And you don't have to sing a hymn because it's in a specific section of the hymn book on a certain season. Yeah. Um, let's, let's take a mighty fortress uh, as one example in its earliest hymnals. It was grouped with the Psalms because it's a setting of Psalm 46. And then only later did it end up in sections like, um, the word of God or something like that. So at the time of the Reformation, I, I, I sort of mentioned this, Luther and his colleagues were pr producing these hymns that had all sorts of different functions. Some functioned in the liturgy, some were based on Psalms, some, um, some were for teaching like catechism hymns. Others co covered the church here. Like you said, Advent, Christmas, Easter, um, Luther, Luther's great Easter hymn, Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Bands. Um, and, and then other themes as well. So if, just as one example, if you look at the 30, 37, 38 hymns that Luther himself wrote, just look, look at them as a set. It's almost like its own little hymnal, just like we have now. It covers the church year. It covers different occasions and seasons and uses. So like this time of year, we're, you know, we're thinking about Reformation, like Reformation Sunday. Usually when we go back to Reformation era hymns for Reformation Sunday, we'll sing something like A Mighty Fortress or 
Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. These things that are connected closely with the themes of the Reformation, like preservation of the word and pure teaching and spreading the gospel. But of course, on Reformation Sunday, I would hope we're also singing other hymns from other times that follow these, that, you know, follow these same kind of models. So Elizabeth, what's your favorite hymn? Not just Reformation, but like, what's your favorite hymn overall? Thy Strong Word. Okay. Th- there, it, you know, that one was written in the 1950s, but I think I think it does all of those things that the earliest Lutheran hymns did. It was relying on tradition. Proclamation is right at the front. It teaches. So I hope, you know, on Reformation Sunday, we're also singing hymns like Thy Strong Word, which come from subsequent subsequent centuries, but also fit those themes and, and do these things that Lutherans do with their hymns so well. I have, I, I love that hymn. I have a lot of favorite hymns, but this one, my memories of it are almost visceral because I've grown up uh, attending chapel services at St. Louis Seminary. And to be in a chapel, and even when I was a kid and it was back in the Warner Auditorium, and you've got the room filled with these seminary students and faculty, all male voices, singing that hymn, and then you add the organ to it. It's such a phenomenal sound and that's part of the reason that that memory is one of the uh, in addition to yeah. the words it's one of the things that I, I love about that hymn and until the the Lutheran hymn companion came out I had no idea that hymn was written specifically for the seminary yeah which I think is so so cool because it, it's that's where my memories with of it are associated and that's yeah. why it was written I think I just thought that was a very cool connection um in there it's good to know that we it it even though with your qualifiers about it being a Reformation hymn, we can, we can still sing it at Reformation. <laughs> if you were to ask Martin Luther anything about his hymn writing, what would you ask him? Hmm. Okay. As a hymnologist, you know, like we were saying with the mighty fortress, there are some question marks, you know, some things we didn't, we're not even sure if Luther wrote, what would I ask him about his hymn writing? Or hymn writing in general. If you could ask him anything about hymnody, what would you ask him? Yeah, that's that's a tough one. Yeah, I, I, I definitely would have specific questions like, did you write this? Luther was a good hymn writer, but not the best. Now, I don't know that I would say that to him. <laughs> he, he never heard of Paul Gerhardt. One of the things I love about Luther's hymns is that his language is so real and accessible. And I think the really good English translations of his hymns bring that forward. I don't, I don't mean to say that his, his language was sloppy. You know, his hymns are still disciplined and rigorous and certainly not vulgar or something like that. I wouldn't ask him for encouragement as a hymn writer um, because like I said, I've tried it a couple of times. I'm not, I'm not good at it. I don't know. This is, I don't know, super self-serving, but I, I, I might ask him to write a hymn for me. Imagine that hanging in my office. That would be pretty amazing. Yeah. That, that would be something else. Wow. Okay. So you've given us a lot of kind of really cool behind the scenes of hymnody and some of our favorite hymns. If our listeners want to dig even deeper into the history of our hymns in the Lutheran service book, where should they go? Yeah. Um, I highly recommend our Lutheran service book companion to the hymns. Uh, this book came out uh, just about a year ago and it has two volumes covering the 
every little detail of, of every hymn in Lutheran Service Book. So you can find out more about that at cph.org slash companion. No, it's a great place. It's it's a phenomenal volume that has so much information. Even for those of us that are not hymn nerds of your caliber, there's a lot of really cool trivia in there and history that makes the hymns come alive, which is really great. Peter, thank you for joining us today. I think we're all going to have a hymn in our heads as we go about the rest of our day, which is great. Listeners, I hope you'll drop a comment. Um, tell us what your favorite hymns are. Share those with us and pass this episode along to friends of yours who would enjoy hearing about the hymns of the Reformation. Thanks, Peter. Yep, it's been my pleasure. Listeners, we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Concordia Publishing House podcast. I pray that this time was valuable to your walk with Christ. We'd love to connect with listeners on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Concordia Pub. Visit cph.org for more resources to grow deeper in the gospel.